welcome to The Connected Generation. My name is Nikia Anani and I'm your host. Wow. This week, wow. Wow. <laughs> Whenever I speak to guests, I'm just like, not only like the tactics of what they do, amazing. They're usually amazing at what they do, but their stories, the path to which they got to where they are today, I'm always really moved. And Lottie really moved me. Lottie Leaf is the founder of Jura Private, which is a private client wealth consultancy focusing on women and wealth, as well as the Jura Society, which is a financial well-being platform. And at the heart of what she does is really to see a deeper connection between personal finance and well-being, striving to move away from transactional nature of traditional wealth management, and also striving to dispel the notion that females and finance don't go together. This conversation, wow, (laughs) I loved Lottie's non-linear trajectory into this whole world of women and wealth. I loved her entrepreneurial startup mentality, where in spite of the fact that she wasn't formally trained in this space, she went for it and seek to add value to people's lives. And most of all, I was inspired by the origin of the vision for Dura Society. I don't want to spoil it, but Lottie was ill, on a hospital bed, recovering from a spinal fluid leak. And at that moment in time was when she had the vision for the Jura Society. So tune in, enjoy, and share the love. Why not share the love? Share it with a friend. (laughs) Share the episode. Subscribe. Follow. Enjoy. Hi, Lottie. Welcome to The Connected Generation. Hello. Thank you so much for having me this afternoon. It's lovely to be here. Yeah, it's lovely to have you. Tell us more about Lottie. How did you get to where you are today with the Jura Society, Jura Private, being such an advocate for women and wealth? How did you get here? Well, it was not linear. Let's just say that. So I actually studied design. Yeah. Really? (laughs) Yeah, I was at Chelsea Art College and then I studied interdisciplinary design in Bristol. And then when I came out, as people do, go, oh, wow, real world. What's this about? Okay, I have to make money. Like, I worked all throughout university, but, you know, it's not really kind of career jobs that you're doing. Yeah. So I went off to property because the state agency, it's a good start in how sales works, I think. So I cut my teeth at Foxton's, before <laughs> everybody hears of their reputation, but actually that gave me really good discipline. So mm. Foxton's and hung around in property for about three years, realized that actually... It was a bit too transactional and I love relationships and I love actually helping people throughout tricky situations and helping them to navigate. And actually when you're just transacting on say rental properties, it's not quite the same. There's no longevity there. So I took a bit of time out. I ended up working in a shake's office briefly. That was very eye-opening. That was quite fun. And then from the recruitment agency, they were like, oh, we've got an opening in marketing at a... um, wealth management firm on Pall Mall. Do you want to do that? And I was like, yeah, cool. What's wealth management? (laughs) Honestly. Wow. Yeah. So I had a call with the lady who turned out to be one of the founding partners of St. James's Place. As soon as I heard her voice on the phone, I was like, yep, don't even care what the role is. I want to work with this woman. She's amazing. It was an energetic connection. So Actually, the girl who was running the investments in the company then left pretty soon after I went into the firm. 
And so when they were trying to recruit for a new person, I just turned around to my boss and said, hey, I'll do it. You know, why not? And she was like, yeah, Lottie, I don't see why you can't do it. So we went through all of my qualifications. I got put on the academy, got trained up as a financial advisor. And honestly, I I think that has been the best thing I've ever done. Wow. I'm just like, my jaw is like, because it's not typical of women to not fit the bill on paper and Mm. put themselves for opportunities that they feel they don't qualify for. So do yeah. you ever deal with like imposter syndrome or yes. all these? And then, <laughs> yeah, so I come across very confident, but actually mm-hmm. when I was at university, I used to suffer some awful panic attacks. I would not wow. speak in public. I would freeze up. I would panic. I just had no confidence in what I was doing. And I think through becoming educated, knowing that actually I know what I'm talking about and mm-hmm. knowing that. I'm not talking gibberish. I'm not, although you know, sometimes maybe I am, but when it comes to actually helping clients, I do see results. So mm-hmm. I think when you have this imposter syndrome, it's really good to actually reflect on where you've come from and actually the hurdles that you've come over can help you to build up this resilience and go, okay, this is where I go to next. And also I fall back on the relief and the kindness of the amazing support network that I have behind me. So all of the people that I've worked with throughout my career, whether it's in property or wealth management over the last 10 years, they're all so willing to help. And Mm. I can call them up and I can go, okay, I don't understand this. And Mm. they will take the time to look after me and to help me because they believe in me as well. And I think that's really important. It's having other people believe in you and then you believe in yourself off of that. And that even though sometimes, you know, you just want to hide in bed and go, oh my God, I can't do this. I can't face this. I can't face this. Mm-hmm. So my two mantras are really, what's the worst that can happen? And just do it. Yeah, just do it. It's like my namesake <laughs> <Yeah>. brand. <laughs> no, I, those are amazing tips that you've just provided there. So, so good. And so Jura Society, tell us more about that. Why are you so passionate about women and wealth? Okay, so Jura Society, I'll give you a bit of background on where that comes from. So back in 2016, whilst I was working with this incredible woman, I ended up having a spinal fluid leak. So, ooh. yeah, it's a bit ooh. <laughs> Basically, what happened is, I think I was doing Pilates or something. This is a real kind of first world injury. And I ripped my dura, which is the membrane that protects your spinal column and your brain. So all of the fluid that's protecting your brain sort of leaked out. I was in <gasps> a lot of pain for many months and we didn't know what it was. So I had a wonderful, wonderful, again, female neurologist who looked after me after I'd seen many, many other people. And I was hospitalized for two weeks. So during that time, I really took that time for self-reflection because you're sat on your own and you're like, right, okay, so I could just sit here moping around being like, oh, where is me? Or actually, I tend to thrive when I'm put into shit situations. (laughs) But I always, I'm quite optimistic. So I was like, right, okay, if I were to die tomorrow, I don't want to just have accomplished X. I want to use my energy to help far more people and get far more of a reach. So what do I know? Okay, I know how to communicate with people. I know how to solve problems. And now I know about finance. How can we merge this all together? So in my hospital bed, I was like, right, Jura Society, that works. Society, I want to bring people together. Jura Mater in Latin means tough mother. And I was like, this is poetic. Wow. <laughs> I was like, okay, fine, I have to do this. Sorry, you figured all this out whilst you were in a hospital bed, recovering, yeah. spinal fluid. Yeah. 
Oh my goodness, that's so inspirational. Carry on, please. (laughs) (laughs) And I know that you talk a lot about mindfulness and mindset. And I think in order to transport yourself from a bad sort of reality, you have to use Mm -hmm. your brain to try and project into a positive future. And that is a lot of what the work that I do with my clients is all about projecting and protecting yourself and using finance as a framework to enable you to do that. Because we're in a capitalist society, life costs money, Mm -hmm. life is a big essence of stress, anxiety, panic, whether it's for yourself, for your children, for your extended family, and for your own progress, you want to understand what your current future position is. So Mm -hmm. just going through that whole experience, I was like, okay, there's something more to this. So what I then did was realize that actually I'd come from a creative background. And if I hadn't fallen into this role, hadn't got qualified, then what the hell would I have done? There was nothing Mm. out there and nobody who would communicate in the same way that I do. So I went to a lovely members club in Soho called the House of St. Barnabas. And they're a not-for-profit and their mission is to help end the cycle of homelessness. So Mm. their members there creative media backgrounds you know intelligent ambitious all of that but maybe not on the radar of financial institutions Mm -hmm. because of some reason or another so I went in and I did a series of workshops making it really accessible making it human getting them to do exercises getting them to open up and talk about it and I was like oh this is so much fun and I mean to be honest I would sneak out of work to do this as well because (laughs) They're not going to let you do these kind of things. When you work in institutions, you don't get that pro bono style work opportunity as you would if you were a legal profession. Mm-hmm. So I was effectively doing moonlighting as a pro bono financial, whatever it was. And then that sort of spiraled from there. So there was no set intention or plan. There's never been a plan. The plan was to use energy and to just do what I believed in for, to help other people. Wow. I have so many things to ask. And you spoke about your journey very much from like a career perspective, right? And then you spoke about this horrible injury you had and you were in the hospital bed and you had this aha moment about your society. But I suspect there were influences that kind of accumulated prior to that injury that led you to that point, a point where one would expect that you'd be focusing on yourself and your recovery, where you then get inspired with this grand vision. What are key influences in your life? Yeah, that's well, who who has influenced you in your life? Do you know what? That's really important. And a lot of what I do probably comes back to my parents' relationship. So my mother is actually blind. So she can't hmm. work. So she relies financially on my dad. And he is very much in control of the finances. And he'd always <laughs> had been. And he is an accountant and it's all very methodical and they have totally different mindsets and ways that they want to live their lives and in most of the arguments that any relationship boils down to money because money. it is so linked to the way that we operate as humans and the transactional and the inherent value and sense of worth and you know this transaction and lifestyle so seeing their conflict and seeing hmm. how powerless that makes her in terms of decision making for things she wants and having to really kick up a fuss and then getting into tantrums because I can't have this. And I'm Mm. like, okay, interesting. I don't want to be like that. (laughs) Ultimately, I don't want to be that. I am very strong-willed. 
I don't know where that comes from. Probably from being <laughs> around quite a fractious sort of family environment growing up. That if you weren't shouting loud enough, then you'd get muffled out by the other shouting that was going on. And then I'd always just kind of go off and do my own thing anyway. So I'm very independent in terms of what I want. Mm-hmm. But I think as well, going back to my first boss in finance, she was amazing. And she was very inspirational in the fact that she was in her 60s when I was working with her. And she'd been working in finance for most of her life. And she mm-hmm. very much was like, Lottie, don't let these men belittle you. You mm-hmm. can do it. You are able to do it. Go flourish <laughs> and I was like okay you sold me I can do it I can do it so yeah I think those are the main sort of influences it's incredible that's incredible and so tell us more about your society what's the mm-hmm. vision behind that and what's the work that you do yes okay so your society is effectively a platform to encourage discussion about three pillars which are women wealth and well-being so through that I do one-to-one coaching with individuals who want to have an understanding of their options and to build their confidence when they're talking about wealth. I also collaborate with other professionals within the wealth management spectrum. So for instance, investment managers, divorce lawyers, tax specialists, and bring in the right people at the right time and also showcase them on the website as well to try and bring a human element to professional services. Because I think that having a little picture and a blurb talking about how they started at Oxford and blah, 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 means nothing to a client, I think. It's can you get the job done? Can you relate to me? And can I trust you are really the emotional pillars that the client is looking for when they're looking for that. And you don't get that human element when it's coming through a glossy, very clinical screen. So I want to, yeah, I build up, I do events, not so much Mm -hmm. now, but actually in first lockdown, way back in a year ago, I did... Yeah, I set up a 12-week initiative with a good friend of mine who is an economist, and we put together Wealth and Wine series for free. Every week, we would do a separate topic. So we'd be teaching people about economics, about video management, about financial planning, interest rate changes, those kind of things, just to give a real overview, because I was like, you know, that was a great opportunity to learn. So that went down really well. And Dura Private, so that has kind of spun off the back of the work that I was doing and the reception that I had from the professional services. And I thought, you know what? I really don't want to work for anybody else again. <laughs> so <laughs> I will create my own family office, effectively, for women coming through a divorce. They have probably ended up with a settlement of a substantial amount of money. They probably haven't managed money for forever, let alone having to decide what to do with their separate assets, who to trust again, where do I go to? If they've got substantial assets, they're more than likely to have professional advisors, which may have had the relationship with the financially stronger party, which basically mm-hmm. is likely to be the husband. So yeah. what do I do? So they come to me, I sit them down and we go through cash flow planning. We get an understanding of what they actually want their life to look like now. Moving on, new life, mm-hmm. new start. What are we going to do? And we do it in a very sort of holistic way, truly holistic, not like wealth managers who say it's holistic as long as you put it in a wrapper that they can charge on. So, <laughs> so true. <laughs> this tension is truly holistic. So we'll do that. And then I'll help them to bring in a team who is supportive and relatable to that client and be multi, multi. So I'll be a manager of managers effectively. Mm. And then we do 
provide them with the consolidated reporting, and then I can help the system with the sale and acquisition of non-financial assets. So I'm not giving any investment advice to the client. I'm leaving that to the portfolio managers. But what I am doing is building a bridge for them as they gain sort of empowerment and education in order to make their own decisions when they get to that stage, whether it's six months, 12 months down the line, I'm giving them that space to breathe so they haven't got that pressure to go mm. in and say, right, this wealth manager says I need to wrap it all into this portfolio. I'm going to get a report from him every 12 months. I'm not going to understand what this report says. So that is kind of what current model is. And what I'm providing is a bridging service for individuals. So you were talking about the building a bridge between yes. your clients and their advisors. Exactly. Yes. And giving them breathing space for decision making as well. So they're not pressurized, but they've got somebody there that they can lean on and handhold them through that decision making process without feeling tied into actually purchasing anything. It's just on a retainer basis. I provide a service. It's not product placement. It's not investment advice. It's it's that handholding mm-hmm. and coaching element that I'm providing. Mm. Well, that's really, really important. And just taking a step back, how do ladies get to this point? Why are we seeing that women are not very confident in terms of this area of wealth building, mm-hmm. wealth management? And why is there a particular issue with divorcees? That's very important. Very important to go to what the cause is. So... In terms of the clients that I work with, they're probably 40 to 60 age-wise. And now they, mm. a lot of the time, will have had successful careers in their own right, but it might not be in the financial services. And for instance, the same that I faced when I was in hospital was how on earth would I know or what resources would I have to learn what I have now learned if I were not doing this job? So people don't talk about money for a start. And even if they do talk about money, that's mostly about how much like a property costs or how much a holiday is. It's not mm. talking about the intricacies. And I mean, you're not really going to talk about a trust structure of lunch because it's not that sexy. Yeah. Although it's important in terms of asset preservation and asset protection, those are not the discussions that we're having. So I love the fact that we are opening up now and people have more confidence to talk about how much we're earning, how much we're saving, how much we're spending. But there's another element, another layer, which I'm trying to address, which is individuals with substantial assets still have got needs in terms of education. So there's Mm -hmm. a lot of talk that's going on around people who are starting off on the property ladder, people who are consolidating debt. And that's great. And there are lots and lots of platforms and advice services out there for individuals. But actually, as you get higher up the wealth spectrum, that need for support sort of Mm -hmm. falls away. And I don't know whether that is because they rely on their investment managers to make those decisions for them. Now, the issue there, I believe, is that when you've gone through divorce, you are in an emotionally vulnerable position. And if you haven't managed this money before, you have then got that decision which will then impact you and your family and you have to make it as you're transitioning into single living again. Mm-hmm. So being able to do that competently is difficult. And so again, they push back and rely on the professional advisors who might not be impartial, who might not really care mm-hmm. <laughs> about what the outcome will be, and then unlikely to empower the individual to make that decision. 
they will mm. tell them and they will show them lots of fancy charts as part of their sales pitch. And they will say, look at this benchmark that we've outperformed. And the client will probably go, yes, that looks very good. Because there's a big difference between nodding and understanding. And I think a lot of people nod because mm. they're afraid to speak up if they don't understand. And I think especially for women, we don't want to be seen to be stupid or not understand, especially if there's a lot at stake in terms of assets. You want to feel like you're in control. And so I think that this is possibly why there is this sort of disconnect between what women want and what we get in mm-hmm. the wealth management services. So now there's a lot of push for women's offices. You know, oh, we'll make it pink and we will do this and we'll send them to a handbag show and we know women. Mm. <laughs> and that's a client retention strategy more than anything. Oh, quickly, diversity, let's hire some women. Quickly. Yeah. <laughs> get them in. Yeah. Get them in. Come in. Are we going to look after them? Maybe not. Do they want to get pregnant? <laughs> uh, not ideal. And so there's a real shift in the industry that needs to happen. But at the moment, we've got, can I say, we've got a cock block? <laughs> Please do. <laughs> <laughs> that's what's happened in oh. professional services. So yeah, you can quote me on that one. But that's what there is. So I'm really excited about what's going to be happening. In the next 10 years. No, this is amazing. You're essentially disrupting the wealth management industry. You've spoken about a number of things, about how you're not transactional, you like relationships, about how you want to see kind of a restoration of humanity and the human element back to professional services. So from your opinion, just make it clear to us why you feel the wealth management industry hasn't been serving women optimally. Because of... The education piece, I think, predominantly. So a lot of women probably at the time, so if they're in their 40s, 60s now, they wouldn't have had the opportunity to work in professional environments or professional industries. So they wouldn't have that literacy when it comes to understanding what the financial instruments are, how economic structures work. And that Mm -hmm. is not their fault at all. That is just Mm a societal thing that we are trying to overcome. So. I think wealth management, great, works for some people, but it's not going to work for those people who are vulnerable. And in terms of they can get taken advantage of by the professionals in a way, and they are disempowered through the decision-making by relying on these professionals to make those decisions for them. Whereas a male who might be, say, a hedge fund manager or working in private equity will understand the intricacies of how the markets work for instance but they are time poor they're not literate Mm. illiterate so they will pass over their money because they want somebody else to manage it for them and that's absolutely fine you know Mm -hmm. they know what they're doing supposedly so that works on a transactional basis but for a woman it's not optimal i get it Mm. yeah if that makes sense completely Um, makes sense completely makes sense and just you mentioned you're passionate about women, wealth, and wellness. We haven't really spoken about the wellness piece. Can you just elaborate more on that? Yeah. So finance has a huge impact on our lives. And as part of the wellness, mm. that seven point, the wellness wheel, financial literacy and financial well-being are huge, huge influences on the way we lead our lives. So it's not necessarily just the money. It's 
what am I doing with my money? Am I protected? And am I empowered mm-hmm. to make decisions? And I think those areas will give you a sense of well-being. I'm also, <laughs> I did train as a Reiki practitioner as well. Really? Yeah. So when I was going through a stressful bout of working in the city, I was like, right, okay, I need to do something. Because when I'm like, problem, solution, let's get it done. Problem, solution. <laughs> so I went and trained in Reiki and so great. I mean, my colleagues thought I was mad, but I said, bring it on. But yeah, so, so useful, such a useful tool. So I'm all about bringing in therapeutic practitioners. You know, if somebody needs to go and see an equine therapist, why the hell not? If it works for them, yeah. What about bringing any level of self-care to individuals? Mm, That's incredible. You mentioned about the client profile that you're serving divorcees typically 40s to 60s having very distinct needs based on the world they grew up in where women were not as financially literate as they are today just comparing to this uprising generation of women millennials gen z's are you seeing that they have distinct needs as well preferences with respect to this area of wealth and wellness compared to the generation before them yeah definitely so I think because we've got more accessibility, so millennials, Gen Z, more accessibility to information, that they are becoming more aware, younger, on the importance of financial education. Now, whether or not that is also a response of our current economic chaos, so people are actually Mm. a lot more worried and having to build financial resilience themselves. So there's a lot of talk about emergency funds building up that cash buffer for yourself. Now, I never heard of that before when I was at university or anything like that. I was like, what's an overdraft? Free money? Great. Not free money. Yes. No one told me that. I was just like, oh, sweet. I can get that and I can get that or whatever. Oh, I have to pay it off. Whatever. I think they're becoming so aware. And actually, some of the coaching clients that I deal with through Jura Society are next-gen wealth. So some of the issues mm-hmm. that they have, you know, one girl's 21 and she's very on it. And she's like, how do I communicate with my trustees? And so we do role plays and we understand mm-hmm. what the issues are that they will be seeing against her and vice versa. And I think that's a really important element of professional services is understanding how to communicate. But that's mm-hmm. important in all aspects of your life. But especially so millennials and Gen Z in terms of their financial literacy, I think they're having Vespod. I work very closely with Emily from Vestport. I think she's doing an amazing service online. She's teaching younger girls about investing, the pitfalls and the dangers of it. And that also is contradictory to this Reddit and Wall Street bets saga Mm -hmm. that we had with GameStop. So this kind of sexy appeal of trading that I think the younger generations are having. And I think they're also quite disillusioned with traditional employment. So they want this get rich quick scenario they're going into cryptos they're not understanding the risks behind it they're not getting looked after by their employers really anyway they're Mm -hmm. not listening to their needs when we're a lot more dynamic we're a lot more flexible in terms of our mindset and very quick in terms of communicating information transfer and tying these younger generations down pinning them behind a desk which is the modern day sort of slave labor there they don't like that and that's totally understandable i think we need to adjust and actually having this opportunity to work from home, work remotely, showing that it does work will really, I hope, be beneficial to everybody in terms of just understanding that humans need downtime. We are humanoids, we are animals, and 
we need love and we need protection and we need mm. people to tell us that things are going to be okay. And I think mm. that there's not a lot of that going on in the world at the moment, unfortunately. Unfortunately, you've brought up so many apt points in that the wealth management industry, unfortunately, is still geared towards the old white man. But there's a change in terms of we're seeing increasingly women are becoming wealth holders. And there was a statistic I came across, I think it was something like 70% of the wealth, the significant wealth holders in the next generation will be women. And so we've got this next gen wealth, female wealth that's rising. And the industry really has to adapt to be able to serve this client base effectively rather than I've always found that next gen is completely overlooked, completely overlooked. Everyone's still looking to the patriarch and assuming it's patriarch. That's another thing that irritates me. It's like, yeah, the patriarch. Well, sometimes they're matriarchs. Sometimes the wealth owner is a female. And the whole industry really needs to adapt to this rising generation to be able to thrive and to serve this, like you said, restoring the human element to professional services, not just treating people like, their invoice number. Yes. Three, five, eight. A hundred percent. And also, I think one interesting point to raise is that next gens, although they're looking at sort of the trading and everything like that, they're looking at tangible assets. They're not just looking at things that you can wrap in a portfolio. So mm-hmm. they will be looking at trainers, real estate, watches, all of these tangible goods as a show of status. Mm-hmm. Because I think that is a feedback loop from Instagram society. So people want to show their wealth. They want to be cool. They want to be part of this community and tribal almost relationship that they're having with these influencers. And so the way that you are spending money as well is very quick using cryptos as well. A lot of banks and obviously institutions are quite wary of this, obviously from a source of funds point of view. But Mm -hmm. you've also got these NFTs coming up and non-bankable assets, which are then ending up being tokenized. So for instance, if you wanted to buy an Aston Martin or a share of an Aston Martin, what they're doing now is tokenizing that share and giving it a liquid market. How long will it take for investment managers to be able to accommodate that on their platforms? Who knows? And so I think that we actually need to start listening to the next generation to be prepared for people not just having a 60-40 stocks and bonds portfolio. Mm, Very interesting point. My last question to you, what do you see in the horizon? Are you excited about the future? Oh, I'm always excited about the future. <laughs> I think you have to be optimistic in these times, I feel. So are you talking about just life in general or in terms of women of wealth? What, which are Anything, pick Anything. one. You pick. pick. Something. <laughs> I think that I'm very excited about Dura Private. Honestly, the conversations that I'm having around it, the clients that I'm looking after already, I am going to need some quick growth strategies I have to say and if anybody else steals my idea I'm going to come after you but but there's nobody out there doing it in this way and I am so excited to get out there I'm excited for the world to open up again I'm excited to be able to go and travel and see a lot of my professional advisor contacts you know out in Switzerland and Mm -hmm. really get started and building a proper community of like-minded and aligned professionals out there serving women who need it and it's not just a diversity push it's not just womb washing which is what I call it it's actually Mm. women helping women and supporting them not just because we're women but because we need it and Mm -hmm. we don't want to be told what to do by all these men anymore I'm sorry (laughs) 
I love it. Absolutely love it. Thank you so much. If anyone wants to get hold of you, Lottie, how best can they reach you? Well, you can go on the website, www.thejurasociety.com. And so my email is lottie at thejurasociety.com. LinkedIn, Instagram, Jura Society. Yeah. <laughs> Telegram, Telegram. Um, <laughs> Clubhouse. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, do you know what? That There's thing. So many things. So oh, my God. <laughs> I can't handle Clubhouse. I think. Yeah. My brain is already like all over the place, jumping into something like that. I'm you like, and me both. I was on there. I was quite active on there for like three, four weeks. Then I'm like, this mm-hmm. is overwhelming. So like, distracting. So and these distracting. rooms that go on and on for like eight hours, I literally cannot deal. So, no. yeah. It's like an unstructured out. radio station. Like, yeah. Like, no, thank you. No, no, no. Right. no, no. <laughs> Podcast. I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. <laughs> Oh, it's been amazing having you, Lottie. Thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. I'm always, always, always intrigued by people's backstories because I have a theory that what we see and what we do is an accumulation of who we were and what we experienced and who touched us all through our lives. And we have to become very intentional and self-aware of that if we want to shape and chart the trajectory of our future. So our past, our present, and our futures are strongly linked. And I just really loved that at that point when Lottie was on that hospital bed, I keep coming back to this because it really is just fascinating to me and so inspirational to me. She could have chosen, woe on to me, I need to recover, I need to tend to myself, but she chose instead I need to serve women. I need to serve people. I need to add value. And wow. And I love her talking about the influences and why she thinks she got to that point at that point in time. The influence of her parents' relationship, of her mother, of wanting to be able to empower women to have more of a voice in terms of wealth management and finances and things. I also loved her view of the asset management industry and how relationships and connections are really key to this industry. And I come back to this collaborations, relationships, connections. We're not compartmentalized beings. So we're not just an entrepreneur in one corner and a mom in another corner and a wife in another corner or, and what have you. We're fully congruent beings and our humanity has to be acknowledged at all points in time. So being a business owner is not just about sales and marketing, it's about connections. (laughs) Being a mom or a wife is not about cleaning up after people or serving people, it's about a human connection. All facets of who we are is about connection. And I'll just implore you to think about connections and err away from transactional type relationship, transactional type goods, services, and think to build meaningful connections. Thank you so much for tuning in and share, share, share with a friend or two or five or 20 and subscribe or follow. Thank you so much. Take care and God bless you.